Father, as we come before you this evening, Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus who paid it all. We're so thankful that we have victory in Jesus. No matter how many times our days are hard, no matter how bad our lives get here on this earth, we know that tomorrow, up there with you, we have victory in Jesus. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Father, thank you for reminding me of that. Lord, as we get into this time, we're praying for my Uncle Kenneth. We're praying for Bob Fox, Tim Mems. We're praying for our ministry here in Cedar Hill and for good workers at uh, my employee at where I work, Lord, that I need help. Father, as we get into this time, as we talk about the scripture, as we talk about Jesus, I pray you would help me to do it justice, that they would see the Savior who came and died for them. Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, quite frankly, the songs that we just sang, Jesus paid it all. Victory in Jesus. Those were for me. I get a little down every now and then. I forget that there is a better world coming. There's a better life coming. Sometimes I, too, need to be lifted up. So that's why we did those songs today. And it worked. It lifted me right up. So get into the night. Sunday night, we addressed the time that Jesus cleansed the temple of the money changers and their tables, the ones who sold doves. He ran them out of the temple. And then the blind and the lame, they came into the temple and he healed them. Because if you'll remember, out on Solomon's porch was where all the blind and the lame were. All the blind and the lame were outside the temple. Jesus went in, ran the businessman out, the money changers, the ones who were getting rich off the people. He ran them out. And then the blind and the lame came in. And then they got to the business of having a good old worship service. The children, the people, they saw the wonderful things that he was doing. And they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. They were proclaiming him as the Messiah. Yet the scribes and the Pharisees, they were over in the corner and they said, do you hear what they're saying about you? And Jesus said, oh yes, I hear. I hear. Do you not remember where it says out of the mouth of babes comes the truth? These children are speaking the truth. Then Jesus left and went to Bethany. So today, we're going to see Jesus interacting with his brothers, interacting with the common folk, and interacting with the scribes and Pharisees. Really don't have a whole message built out per se. This is just a look at a day or days in the life of Christ, his interactions, and what he goes through while he was here. So we're going to start in John 7.1. And these things, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. The Jews, meaning the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, not the common people. The common people loved him for the miracles he did. The common people loved him for the food he fed them. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, they wanted to kill him for healing on the Sabbath. A high crime indeed, right? You healed someone on the Sabbath. Let's kill you. Now to us that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. They also wanted to kill him for making himself equal with God. So whenever people say, 
Did Jesus really say he was God? He did, because they wanted to kill him for it. At the very beginning of his ministry, he made himself equal with God. Now, as an aside, I want to say he is not afraid to die. Jesus is not afraid to die. It's just not time for him to die yet. He is not afraid of the Jews. He's not afraid of Jewry. He's not afraid of the leaders trying to kill him. He is keeping a schedule. So when it says he didn't go to where they were because they sought to kill him, it wasn't out of fear. It was out of, it wasn't time yet. The timetable has to be met. John 7, 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels, but there is always a feast of some sort going on in the Jewish traditions. The Jews' feast of the tabernacle, Passovers, the Sabbath, the Jews had a lot of holy days. And they, every one, were observed and handled right. I believe we in America should return to our observances of the holy days as well. I believe that our holy days, Christmas, the world shuts down. Used to shut down for a day and a half. Noon, Christmas Eve, till Christmas night, the world would shut down here in America. Now, it'll shut down at midnight, Christmas Eve. And it'll stay closed to about noon on Christmas Day. Thanksgiving shuts down about 7 p.m. the night before. Opens back up about 4 p.m. the day of Thanksgiving. We treat them as five, six-hour events. We don't observe holy days. We do not slow down and reflect on life and the things that we need to reflect on. And I believe that if we got back to it like the Jews did, we would be better off as a people. Respecting and revering the holy days, I think, is something that might heal this land. Anyway, John 7, 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go in Judea, into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Jesus has been doing things, and he went home, and he told his family, and his brother said, well, if you're really doing them, why aren't you doing them for everybody to see? Why aren't you out in the open? Why aren't you showing the world all these great things that you do? Now, many times, many times over, in fact, I have brought up how the brothers of Jesus, before the resurrection, did not care for him, nor did they believe in him that he was the Messiah. Before the resurrection, they, had, they didn't really want to even be in his company. They grew up with him. They saw him day in, day out. They had a perfect older brother. And I mean, they really had a perfect older brother, unlike us, you know. They did not care for him at all. Yet. They really didn't. But this, this right here, how they abhor him, how they do not believe in him, how they just want him to go away and quit talking big, this right here speaks more of the validity of the resurrection than anything else. For his brothers here say, go, go show them. If you really are all that you're saying, go show the world. After the resurrection, they die for him. That more than anything else speaks to the validity 
of Jesus' resurrection because his family that did not care for him, his family that did not believe in him, his family after the resurrection became his staunchest supporters and they died for him. That, more than anything, speaks of the validity of the resurrection. After Jesus rose from the dead, his half-brothers died preaching the gospel. John 7, 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. He's speaking the truth. The world's not going to hate you guys because you're of the world. They like you because you're like them. They don't like me because I'm here, I'm shining a light, and I'm showing them that their works are evil in the light of a holy God. The world cannot hate you, for you are of the world. How true that statement really is. So many great men of God are ridiculed and torn down by the world, all because they are something that the world cannot understand. I can think of three right off the top of my head that were always attacked and ridiculed for preaching standards, for preaching holiness, for preaching righteousness. Well, while you're doing that, nobody's going to listen. Three great men, earth-shaking men that were ridiculed and torn down by the world because the world didn't understand them. The world cannot hate the world. But they will, if we're doing the job, hate us. John 7, 8, Jesus still talking to his brothers. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast. Not openly, but as it were, in secret. And this is why he went up in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there were much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit, no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So there was much murmuring among the people, and those people are the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And as you find out as you go through the Gospels, half of the Pharisees actually believed on Jesus. So some of those Pharisees said, he is a good man. Nicodemus was one of them, because Nicodemus was in John 3, we are now in John 7. Nicodemus was one of those. But then there are others who said, nay, he is deceiving the people. Half and half amongst them. However, no man of the scribes, Pharisees, of the religious elite, of the rulers of the Jews, no man spake openly of him for fear of the people. He did not go up in the, in the entourage with his brothers, with his family, that the leaders of the Jews would be expecting him, him, him in. He didn't go up the way they thought he would. He went up as in secret. Yet, when he got there, and this was so very smart of him. I mean, he's God. Of course, it was smart of him. But it was so very smart of him because when he got there, he didn't walk around in secret. No, no, no. 
When he got there, he went about out in public. That was the only place they could see him was out in public so that they could not take him out in secret. He knew what he was doing. John 7, 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus went up into the temple, and he taught. How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, this is perhaps one of the most interesting things I've read. Jesus has read in the temple every Sabbath day. They stand up and they let somebody read. And Jesus was one of those that they let read in the temple. So we know he can read. Okay. Now, Jesus is in the temple teaching. Yet, as the son of a carpenter, in those days, Jesus never studied the scriptures. The scriptures were in the temple. The scriptures were in the hands of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. The people did not have the scriptures in their hands. They didn't have the scriptures in their hands. So how did Jesus, who had never been taught, know what the scriptures said, what the scriptures meant? Now, I want to say this because we know what he was teaching was right. We know what he was teaching was right because they did not question what he was teaching. They questioned how he knew what he was teaching. Therefore, they're saying, he's right. How does he know this? He never studied. The scribes and the Pharisees are giving validity to what he is teaching, even though he was never taught. They're questioning not his teaching, they are questioning, not his understanding. What they are questioning is how he knew all of that, having never been taught what the scripture means. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If any man will do God's will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness in him. All right. Now we get to an interesting question. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? Jesus is in the temple. He's openly teaching. And he says to them, I know what God's doctrine is. For he has taught me because I am him. And it is his doctrine that I must preach. I am not here for me, but for the father that sent me. I cannot speak of me. I can only speak of him. That's what he tells them. Then he points to the law of Moses. And he says, Moses gave you the law, yet none of you keepeth the law. Now, why does he say that? 
because he says you go about to kill me. Now, in the Ten Commandments, Moses' law, it says, thou shalt not kill, right? Now, this is also based on intent of the heart. For if they have thought about killing him, the intent of the heart is, it has already been done. They have broken the law. They do not keep the law of Moses that they claim that they keep. Now, Jesus is in the temple, and he's talking openly in the temple. So the people answered and said, Thou hast the devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Now remember, he went up the temple, but so did everybody else. These are not the people of Jerusalem that he's talking with. These are not the leaders that he's talking with. These are the people from the countryside and from round about that came in. And they're saying, you have a devil. Nobody's trying to kill you, meaning here and now physically. They don't know everything that's going on, everything that's being played out behind the scenes. So he's not talking to the people of Jerusalem. For in just a few verses, the ones in Jerusalem ask, is this not he that they seek to kill? So it's not the people of Jerusalem that he's talking to. It's those from roundabout areas that he is talking with. Here it's the county, the country, and the roundabout folks. They could not believe that the rulers would attempt to kill one who has done so much good, who has done so many miracles, who has done so much healing. Now, now Jesus talking, now he's addressing the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work. And ye all marvel. And that is the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. All right, so let's go back to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes walking through. Man's there. Sabbath day. Jesus says, thy faith has made me whole. Arise, take up your bed, and walk. He pick, jumps up. He picks up his bed, and he walks Sabbath day. Cannot carry anything on the Sabbath day. He picked up his bed. Now, he's at fault for working on the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, so he has broken the Sabbath. The lame man who just got healed, the guy that healed him said, pick up your bed and walk. So what did he do? Exactly what the guy that had the power to heal him just said. He picked up his bed and he walked, okay? And the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees are mad at Jesus. They're mad at the guy carrying his bed for doing all this on the Sabbath day. They didn't rejoice and glorify God for the healing they're mad that the Sabbath law was broken. Now, Jesus points out that according to the law of Moses, circumcision must take place, must take place eight days after birth. Eight days. So if you're born on a Saturday, following Sunday, circumcision. It's a Sabbath day. How can you perform the circumcision on the Sabbath day and call that righteous fulfilling the law of Moses when you're breaking the law of Moses. They're contradicting themselves. So for healing a man, making him every whit whole, they're mad at him, but when they fulfill the law of Moses by circumcising on the eighth day, not the same thing. 
Jesus is correct in pointing that out. Of course, he's God. He says, judge not according to the appearance of what's going on, but judge righteously that's going on. Circumcising on the Sabbath to keep the law of Moses, does that not break the law of Moses that you should do no work? <laughs> Jesus did not put up with their nonsense. He really didn't. So as we see from all this, Christ has some very interesting actions with the people of his, interactions with the people of his day. His brothers didn't believe on him. He didn't go up with them in, as a family in mass to the thing. He has no learning, yet the scholars recognize what he is saying and teaching is accurate. They don't question what he's saying. They don't question what he's teaching. They question how he knows these things. That tells us what he was, what he was speaking was true. He has no formal training, yet he knows the doctrines. Jesus just keeps on speaking the truth. The people love him for it. And the ones that are seeking his doom, they are frustrated on every count. And in just a few verses, people are going to say, is not this the Messiah with all that he does? And do these folks, since they're not trying to kill him, do they not know he's the Messiah and just not telling us? The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Gospels, He put up with a lot because nobody understood him. Even his own disciples didn't understand him. Why? Because he was the only one who was not of a worldly mind. Jesus is God. Jesus had a whole agenda that nobody understood. In fact, even today, a lot of people don't understand the agenda. Our agenda is not to be rich, healthy, and whole here. Our agenda is to prepare people for there. That's our agenda. Jesus, he had a schedule to keep. His purpose was not to come here and fit in. For fitting in is what has led the Jews to be where they were. They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with him. His job was to come, show the Father to them. Show the love of the Father. His purpose was to come, show that love, set the world on fire, die for the sin of man, rise again that we might have eternal life, and pass that torch on to us, those who stand up and proclaim the gospel. That is our job now. We are not to be loved by the world. We are not to be rich. We are not to be comfortable. We are to be preaching the gospel. We are to be shining the holy light of God's holiness. Showing them that their works are evil. The world should never love us. For if it does, then we are of the world. I can think of Jack Hiles, who reached millions. And all they did was try to tear him down. Jerry Falwell was part of his ministry way, way back. I see, him, I see them trying to tear him down every chance they get. Great men of God who did great things. Jerry Falwell had a home for unwed mothers. Had a home for alcoholics. 
He had a radio station, a TV station that reached the world. He had a nursing program, nursing home program in Lynchburg, Virginia that reached everybody. He permeated the United States with the gospel. Jack Hiles with the gospel. And yet now, they try to take him down every chance they get. They weren't perfect men. They made mistakes. But they had their goals set. And the world didn't like them for it. And if we do the same thing, they're not going to like us. But we're still going to proclaim the gospel. Jesus was not liked. The masses loved him. But the leadership did not like him. His disciples didn't understand him. His family barely tolerated him. But he still kept going. Because he had a mission. And that mission was to die and pay the price for our sins. How can we be comfortable? How can we do any less than proclaim the Christ that died for them? He had a very single-minded purpose. We need to have that same singleness of purpose.